called Programmed Like Jesus, and you've gotten to hear a lot of my voice, and uh, I've decided that it's Father's Day, and because it's Father's Day, and I'm a father of two, as I said in my first sermon, I've decided to take the day off. I figured that was the right thing to do on Father's Day, and so I put my wife to work this week, Uh, and so that's who you're going to hear from this morning is my wife, Kaylin. She is awesome. That's a a personal opinion, Uh, but I think you'll find that out this morning. Uh, she is a licensed pastor. She's much more spiritual than I. She is ordained. I'm, I'm just certified. So that makes her two levels more, more deep than I am. And you'll experience that this morning. Uh, but here's the thing about preaching and doing this is that it's intimidating. Seeing all of you looking back at me, uh, it is, it's like, wow, there's a lot of responsibility. And I think Kaylin has felt that this week. And, and so can we do something? Can we just give her a round of applause for being willing to do this, even though it's not normal? And, and just help her to feel encouraged to, to bring the word this morning. Yeah, Kayla, come on up. And so, and so this morning, I, I really want you to know that, Kaylin, a lot of things you hear on Sunday morning from me runs through her heart and her mind before it comes out to you. And so she, she's like my, my filter. She hears what I have to say before I say it to you, and she says, you probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> or you probably should say that. Or some of the ideas you've heard even this, over this last couple of weeks have been things that we've talked about in car rides and in places. And so, so, yeah, I hope that you'll enjoy listening to her and what she has to say just as much as I've enjoyed being through the process with you this week and doing it. It's a lot of fun. So thank you. All right, have fun, and we'll see you in a little bit. Hey, so I don't know if you caught that, but uh, pretty much I'm taking credit for the entirety of the sermon series. <laughs> All right, so we've been going through this sermon series. It's called Programmed Like Jesus. The verse that we are basing this off of is 1 Peter 2.21, and it says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He is, Jesus is our perfect programming. We want to be programmed like Jesus. Okay, and so like a computer has a program that tells it how to run, Jesus is our programming. Now in the first sermon that Matt preached, he talked about how Jesus is like artificial intelligence, is how we are meant to be like Jesus. Um, and so I'm going to attempt to explain artificial intelligence, but here's the deal. Matt really loves technology, and I really love Matt. <laughs> I do not understand technology nearly as much as Matt does, but here is my basic understanding of how Matt explains artificial intelligence. So this is Kaylin's version of Matt's version of what artificial intelligence is. So here it goes. Artificial intelligence is created by taking in lots and lots of data and then sorting it. A human being sorts it. So something that is really big in artificial intelligence right now is the idea of self-driving cars. So we've been using this idea of self-driving cars. So first you hook up monitors and all this stuff to a car, and you drive around and you get lots and lots of data. And then a human being comes and puts in whether or not the things that this car has been doing has been experiencing this data that's been input, whether that's good or bad. 
Now, we've been using these bins that you see on the stage, this red bin and this blue one, to say, now, a human being comes and puts things into a good category or a bad category to tell this artificial intelligence system how it is to run. And so for a car, that examples would be uh, good things that you would tell a car that is going to run on artificial intelligence that you want it to do. So simple things like, hey, we want you to go the speed limit. Good job. We're going to put that in the good bin. Or you stopped all the way at a stoplight. We're going to put that in the good bin. And so you start telling a computer system to build off of the data that it's collected and telling it good things and bad things. Some bad things that uh, a car might do or within driving that we would, wouldn't want an artificial intelligence system to do would be things like, hey, you stopped in the crosswalk. We don't want to do that. Or you sped up uh, and you went over the speed limit. Or you ran a stop sign. All of that stuff would be things that, that we would put that data into the bad bin. And artificial intelligence is really interesting because once you start having tons and tons and tons of data, that's, and a human being starts to input it into the good bin and the bad bin, the interesting part about artificial intelligence, if I understand it correctly, is that no longer will this artificial intelligence need a human being to tell it that something is good or bad. It will actually process things faster than a human being can, and it will start to figure out and be able to predict what is good and what is bad. And we're looking at this idea and saying that that's how we want to be when we look at Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus, we want to get so good that we can begin by saying, Jesus does this, and he doesn't do this. Or this is how he measures this, and this is how he doesn't do that. We want to get so good at following the programming of Jesus that we can understand what to do and what not to do. And so that's kind of the basic idea that we've been going off of, that we want to be programmed like Jesus. This week we're going to look at something um, on how we can run our programming well, and I'm calling this sermon Tech Support. Now, like I said, I'm not very good with technology. It's something that I enjoy. I enjoy having a phone. I enjoy having a computer. I understand that these things bring value to my life or they make my life entertaining or, or easier, not simpler, easier. Um, but one thing that I also understand is that technology is great until it doesn't work. <laughs> And so if you have something go wrong with whatever device that you have that is technology-based, I understand one thing, that if you have something go wrong with your technology and you need to call somebody for tech support, you need to call in and you say, my TV is not working, like it's turning, it's doing crazy things, and you call tech support, does anybody know what is the first question that tech support will ask? They will say, have you? tried turning it off and on again. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Often this reset will fix the problem. And I want to look at what our spiritual tech support can be. Our spiritual equivalent of turning it off and turning it on again is something actually that Matt's mom likes to ask us a lot. And that question is, have you prayed about it? Matt would often, especially when he was a teenager, he would 
go and talk to his mom and say, ah, oh, this thing isn't going right, or I'm not sure what to do. And in the middle of all of his explaining and telling her, she would ask this simple question, have you tried praying about it? Have you prayed about it yet? And I still use this with him and with college students that I leave, or that I lead today. I ask them, have you prayed about it? This is our spiritual tech support question. And I want to look at a specific spiritual practice when we think about praying about something, and that is the spiritual practice of solitude, the idea of being alone with God. Now, as you begin to think about solitude, that idea of being away from people and being alone with God, I'm sure that some of you would have the natural reaction of, like, cringing. Like, you're curling up into a ball, and you think, being alone, that sounds terrible. I do not like being alone. I get bored when I'm alone. And last week, Matt talked about relationship. And so, for some of you, that cringing starts to happen because you are wired more to be in relationship. But then some of you are wired more that being alone actually sounds comfortable and good. I want to use an example to, to illustrate kind of the two different reactions that we can have when we start to think about solitude. As Matt said, we have two daughters, and so I am fully invested into the Disney princess world. So we're going to look at our examples from the movie Frozen, which is about Disney princesses. So our first example is of how we can react to the idea of solitude it comes from the character Anna from Frozen. And Anna is, <laughs> her character is the, the type of person who has been alone for a long period of time. And her reaction to this is that she sings to the paintings on the walls in her castle, and she sings about how much she desperately desires to be with people. So she is what I call an extrovert who has been alone too long. She's gotten a little crazy, and she desires relationship desperately. The other character, is Kristoff, and Kristoff has also been alone for the majority of time when we meet him in this movie. And Kristoff's reaction to being alone is that he has a reindeer friend that he sings to, but he sings to this reindeer, and he has a song where he says, reindeer are better than people. He actually really enjoys being alone, and I would say that he is an introvert, who has been alone too long. He has forgotten that people are actually good to be around. And so I kind of want to get a gauge in the room today. If you would say, I'm a little bit more like Anna. I like to be with people. I enjoy that. I feel energized by people. Just give me a raised hand. If you are more like Anna, you are the, the mats of the audience. My husband is like this. If I leave him alone too long, uh, I come home to there are two random things that Matt does if he's alone too long. One, he rearranges the furniture, which is okay. And the other thing that I don't like is that he randomly shaves his beard sometimes if I leave him alone too long. That's, those are some of the crazy things that start to happen. Now, how about the other half of you? Who are the Kristoffs? The me? You are comfortable being alone. Wow, there's a decent amount of introverts in the room. Um, you're more comfortable being alone. You actually, you, you're you feel like, I'll figure out things to do with my time. I'm, I'm comfortable with this. All right, 
so the point is this, whatever your natural is, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, what we need to recognize is this, and this is really what I think that God wants to tell us today. God wants to meet us in solitude. Solitude was a, a part of Jesus' life. It was important to him. And remember, if he is our programming, then it needs to be important to us too. Now before we look at solitude in the life of Jesus, I want to say this. Solitude in the spiritual sense is not just being alone, having the absence of people. Solitude needs to be an escape to be with the Father, otherwise it is just us escaping. So simply said, solitude is being alone with God. Today I want to show you why solitude is important, the benefits that come out of Jesus' life because he spent time in solitude. And then I want to give you practical ways to practice solitude in your life. We're going to start by looking at Luke 4, verse 1. But before we do that, I just want to pray real quick. Yeah, Jesus, would you come? I pray that we would not only look at your life and see the benefits of solitude, but that we would also feel invited into time alone with you. Yeah, I thank you that, that you invite us into that. And I pray that they would use this time for us to take action to do that this week. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at solitude in the life of Jesus. And we're going to begin by looking at, like I said, Luke 4, verse 1. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, what's happening here and kind of the context is that Jesus is beginning his public life of ministry. And he has just been water baptized by John the Baptist and it's kind of like this is his moment. He is being launched into full-time ministry. And the first thing that he does is he gets away and spends 40 days in solitude. I find that really, really interesting because I don't think that that's the logical thing to do here. I think that any of us would look and say, wait, if you're being launched into like, this public career in ministry, which is what Jesus is doing, Especially with John saying, yes, this is the Christ who is to come. Like, he tells people to, to listen to him. Jesus then disappears for 40 days. And he spends time in prayer and fasting. We don't have time to talk about all the things that happen during those, those 40 days. But Jesus spends a prolonged time in solitude. He spends time alone with God. And I want to look at what comes out of that time in solitude. And so, um, immediately after this time of solitude, we're going to skip to verse 16. So Luke chapter 4, verse 16, says this. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found a place where it is written. This is the important part. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, 
gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I think that Jesus reading this is a gutsy move. But I love it because it also says Jesus knows what he is about. He knows his purpose. He is so very clear. These verses that he's reading in Isaiah are specifically prophecy about the Messiah. And immediately following Jesus' time alone in solitude with God, he is able to get up and say, this is the reason I have come. And so I think the first thing that we see in Jesus' life and that we can see that comes out of solitude, that process of turning off and turning back on again, is that we can have clear vision. We can understand why God has called us. We can understand what the purpose of our life is here on earth. Solitude helps us know God's purpose for our lives. Remember, we are to be programmed like Jesus. Now, I wish that we could all be like Jesus and do this at the beginning of our time with him, in our relationship with him, but I think often for us, we do more of the way that we do this with technology, where it's great until it stops working. And then we call, then we call in tech support, and they say, have you tried turning it off and on again? Now, Jesus is smart. He starts with this long period of solitude. He gets his purpose. He understands where he's going and what he's doing. But I think for, for the majority of us, we wait until there's a problem, until we stop and turn off to turn back on. I want to tell you about a time that this happened to me. It was almost like I was being forced into a time of reset. And it happened when I was in the middle of fundraising to do my job, which is to be on campus at the University of Wisconsin-Superior and reach out to college students. Part of that job, before I could even step onto campus, my, my role is to raise funds in order to do that job. And so I was in the process of doing that, and I had a budget goal that I needed to meet, and my goal was to be on campus in the fall. And it was about August, and I was not going to hit that goal. It was very, very obvious that I was falling short of that goal. And for me, especially, I would say internally, it started to be this process where I started to kind of break down. I started to think, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to have the budget. I'm not going to be on campus where I want to be. I want to do this job. I feel like I'm failing at fundraising. I'm not going to hit that mark. And I also started to, to question, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Like, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I just don't have what it takes to be able to raise the funds. So I started to think like that. That's what was going on inside of me. Thankfully, I had a fundraising coach and friend who encouraged me and said, Kaylin, I want you to stop fundraising. I want you to stop this day-to-day -day thing that you are doing, and I want you to take three days, and I want you to spend time away from all the daily stuff that you've been doing, and I want you to get alone with God. And so I scheduled that time, and I went and I was alone with God for three days, and it took those three days, it took that turning off, and turning back on again for me to remember why I was doing what I was doing. And the reason that I was raising money, I wasn't just raising money to raise money. I was raising money because I was called. I was called by God to seek, serve, 
and send the students of UWS to transform the university, the marketplace, and the world. But I had just gotten stuck in what I was doing. Have you ever been there? Maybe are you there now? You've gotten so caught up in the doing that you've forgotten your purpose. Honestly, it's really easy to do. We do a lot of stuff. We are very, very busy people. And so it's very easy for us to get caught up in what we are doing. Solitude is important. Solitude forces us to stop and evaluate not only our actions, but our motivations. Sometimes we need to turn back off and back on again. I needed to do that. We also see that Jesus continues this practice of solitude for his entire time of ministry. It's not just something that he does where he does this prolonged time, this 40-day time of solitude, but we see that as he continues to be in with people, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's traveling around, we see that he continually goes back to these periods of solitude. And so I want to call us to not only this idea of a prolonged time of solitude, but also the periodic in your day-to-day, -day, in the busyness of life, times of solitude. We need in our lives to keep asking for tech support. We have to keep going and turning back off and turning on again. And we see that as Jesus does this, there are some things that he gains as he does this. There are some benefits. And so I want to go through some of these with you. I think the first one comes out of Luke 6, 12. And if Jesus is our program, then we are to be like him. So Luke 6, 12 says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. In this, it's so simple. It's so fast in these verses. It's just like Jesus prayed. He went away. He prayed. But do you see the benefit that Jesus gets out of this? He is able to make a very crucial decision. This is a huge decision that will impact all of the rest of time after Jesus comes. This sets up the church, the decision on who the disciples are going to be. And Jesus does this after a time of solitude. And so we can see this in our lives. Solitude helps us make important decisions. For us, uh, one of the times where I can see an important decision that we were able to make after times and kind of during times of solitude was as Matt and I were moving back to Duluth and the process of buying a house. That's an important decision in your life. It can impact you and it gives you the, the ability to impact others. Think about the people that you're going to live around. And for us, that was a process of continuously going back to God as we were searching for a house. And I really feel like God led us to our house. And we not only led us to the place that we live, but I think he also gave us a vision for our house. When we bought our house, we said, God, we want this to be a place where people can feel welcome and loved and have community. And so it also gave us a vision as we were making that really important decision. So that's the first thing that we see. Jesus is able to make decisions after time in solitude. The second one is this. John 6, 15, Jesus' actions 
are guided by his purpose. The verse says this, Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. This, this verse happens right after uh, Jesus has, I believe it's fed the 5,000. And so these people come and they want to make him king. And here's the thing that I think is interesting. Is I think that this Jesus being king, the temptation for Jesus here, is that that is part of the purpose as to why he came. Jesus came to be king for all of humanity. And I think that he retreats into solitude here because I think it could have been easy for him to get sidetracked and, and say, in this one moment, in this time, I have come to be king, but I've come for, to be king for all of humanity, for all of time, not just in this moment. Solitude is a reminder of the vision and it guides our actions. Uh, Matt used this, this example of, in his first sermon. He talked about, so pretend we're done with this sermon and we're hanging out in the coffee shop and he and I come up to you and we start asking, hey, how did you spend your time this week? What did you do this week? What did you say to your kids? Uh, how did you spend your money? What did you buy this week? What did you watch on TV? You could rattle off some answers and, and start to say, oh, these are some things that I did or, you know, I, I talked to my kid about this or we watched this thing. We, we went to this place. And then what if we started to ask you questions as to, well, why did you do those things? Why did you spend that money on that thing? Why did you buy that thing for like the 50 millionth time? That is me. I buy things that I don't necessarily need. Um, and for a lot of us, we don't always know the reason behind what we're doing. We don't always have our actions match up to our purpose. And so times in solitude can help our actions match up to our purpose. And in this instance, we see that Jesus, uh, he retreats into solitude. So we can retreat into solitude to make sure that our actions line up with our purpose. Thirdly is this. In Mark 1, 35, we see that Jesus, again, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. In this, I would say that we see that Jesus, after a time of solitude, has very clear direction as to where he is to go. I love this example in the life of Jesus. Because do you see what happens here? So Jesus is spending time alone with God in solitude, and then his disciple, Simon, comes to him and he says, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Like, where have you been? And, and again, this is as after a time that Jesus has spent time with a crowd, he has healed people, and they come back and they say, the people want to hear from you more. They want you to heal more. They want you to teach more. Come, like, let's, let's go spend time with this crowd. I think, again, Jesus could have been very tempted. It would have been very easy to see, like, that that would make sense. That makes sense to his disciples that he should go and do that. But Jesus, after a time of solitude, he says, we're going to go somewhere else. 
We're going to go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. Because, I love this part, because that is why I have come. That idea of Jesus understands that he is, again, not there for just one town. He's not there just to make their lives better. He is there for the entirety of people. So he gets his direction, and I think even here, he gets like really clear steps, like what his next steps are to be. Not just this town, but he says, let's go to the next town. And so time in solitude helps us from, to keep from spinning our wheels, from saying yes to too much. I think it's really easy for us to say yes to a bunch of really good-sounding things. This sounds good. This idea of, hey, come back and teach the people, heal the people more. But Jesus says, no, we're going to go somewhere else. It keeps us from spinning our wheels, and it gives us clear direction. If you're feeling like, hey, I'm doing a lot, but I'm not sure where I, can, where I am going, solitude can help us regain that focus. Those periodic times of solitude, where we can take a step away and be reminded of our purpose. And lastly, we see this in Jesus' life, what solitude gives him. We're going to find this from Luke 22, starting in verse 34. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And this is, this is at the very end of Jesus' life. He is approaching where he is going to die on the cross. And his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. In this we see that Jesus in solitude, in time alone with his father, finds the strength to sacrifice. Jesus spends time alone with God right before he dies on the cross. This idea of submitting to the will of God takes sacrifice, and I would say sacrifice is not our natural. And I think the thing that we see here that I really enjoy is that Jesus is able to be completely honest with his father. He is able to be completely honest with God about how he feels about going to the cross. He says, would, if there is any other way that this could happen, if you could take this cup from me, I would, I, that is what I would desire. I don't actually want to do this. That's pretty much what Jesus is saying here. But then it says an angel comes and strengthens him. So God comes. He not only is able to be completely honest, so I think that's one thing that we see in solitude, is we can be completely honest with God. And we also see that God cares about his emotions. He strengthens Jesus in this moment. We can find that. The things, the vision, the purpose of our lives is to glorify God. Often that means that we are going to sacrifice for other people. We are going to sacrifice. And it isn't our natural to want to do those things. So solitude is a period of time where we can be honest with God about the emotions and the feelings that we have towards that sacrifice he may be calling us to. But he also will strengthen us. He will come and give us the power. You do not have to do the things that you are called to do 
that God wants to do through you on your own. God comes and gives us that power. And I think that's awesome. We can look at the life of Jesus and see the times that he spent in solitude. Remember, if we are to be programmed like Jesus, we want to look at his life and see the way that he spent his time, the way that he, he treated other people. And here we can see that solitude is something that is important to Jesus. So if it's important to him, we want to implement it in our lives. And so what does solitude give Jesus? These are like the benefits of solitude that we get, and I think it's awesome. The, the things that we see that come out of solitude for Jesus are that he is able to make decisions. Decision-making, when he chooses the disciples, is a very important decision, and that comes out of a time of solitude. Next is that his actions are in line with his purpose. He does not get sidetracked by the things that seem good. He gets direction. He gets clear direction on where he is to go and what he is to do. And he also gets the strength to sacrifice. These are the benefits of solitude in the life of Jesus. And when we put all of those things together, does anybody see it? It's kind of cheesy, but it's Father's Day, so it's okay. It spells dads. <laughs> so that's my dad joke for today. <laughs> um, so I ask now, you can see the benefits of solitude. And to be honest with you, I'm sure that for the majority of you, if I asked you, even before this sermon, hey, would spending time with God alone be something that would be beneficial to you? Is that something you would desire to do? I would say that most of you in the room could see the idea of solitude is desirable. This idea that sometimes we need to just turn off, get away from everything, and be alone with God. That, that process of turning off and turning on again. But, so I think we, we can see the benefits of it. But often I think we get really stuck in the, but how? How do I start to do that? Um, and so I want to just give you some real three quick tips on how we can practice solitude, how you can do it a little bit better. And I think that this works for both if you're looking to have a time of prolonged solitude, where you take um, maybe a whole day in solitude. I also think that this works if you take just a little bit of time. If you're just thinking, hey, I want to continuously be stepping away and connecting with God. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think that this is going to be really impactful for you. And so the, the, the first thing that I think that we can do is schedule it. If God is going to be a priority and if you are going to find solitude, you are honestly just going to have to put it on your schedule. If God is a priority, he has to end up on our calendars. My Google Calendar runs my life. And so if God isn't on it, then it's not going to happen. So schedule it. Schedule that time with God. Schedule time to be away. Another thing that you have to do, that we have to do, this is for me too, is silence it. This means that we have to turn off everything that would want to pull us away. It is hard to have silence and to get away from things. We are so busy. We have technology at our fingertips. People can get a hold of us quick. So being able to quiet all of the things, all of the stuff, all of the doing, is a part of being able to find solitude, being able to be alone with God. 
And then lastly is space it. Now, this doesn't mean, like, forget about it. <laughs> it means space. You're going to have to find a space that works. Again, being able to just be alone, be away from people, is a part of that being alone to be with God. So you need to find a space that works for you. Now, this part, I think, is um, going to take a little bit of trial and error sometimes. Um, for some people, it works to just find a space in your house, maybe a room. Um, but for some of you, that may feel claustrophobic or like you're not actually getting away from, from your life and you'll just, if you're like me, you will just clean things <laughs> if you're in your own house. Maybe a room in this church could work for you. Honestly, if the church is open, come and use one of the classrooms and pray. We would love that. Some of you are going to connect best with God in nature and that's where you need to, to get away to be in solitude or in your car. So I know that finding solitude is something that we have to schedule, it's something that we have to silence everything else, and it's something that we have to find space. And I have found that after my prolonged time of solitude, I have to keep going back to, to finding time to be alone with God, finding that time to ask for tech support, finding that time to turn off and turn on again. And so I actually take a day every other month to be alone with God. And I know that I have a job in ministry, and so for me, like, that's a part of my job, is to be connected to God. Um, but I also want to encourage you that if you've never done that before, if you've never taken an entire day to be alone with God, it is so relaxing, it is so restful. This last time, actually, um, for Mother's Day, Matt sent me away on a 24-hour prayer retreat where I could just get alone and be with God. So you may have to be creative on how you're going to find time to do that, but I really want to encourage you to, to take the time, to schedule that in. Um, and I also want to say, too, it could be a vacation. I have felt more rested and ready to go after a time with God where I've been alone with him for a prolonged time than I ever have coming home from a vacation. And so that's another idea, if you want to spend prolonged time in solitude with God. Now, as I close, I also recognize the idea of that it still can be really daunting to think about, so what do I do during a prolonged time of solitude? It still can, can feel a little bit like, so I just sit there? And so I want to give you a resource to help you through this. Um, and if you want to do this. So I just have this little booklet that Chi Alpha put out, um, the, the group that I work with, and it's called How to Take a Personal Retreat with God. And our ushers at the back doors will have a copy of this for each and every one of you. And what this is, is it gives you some very clear directions as to what to pray about, what to write about. There's room to write in here. It gives you a schedule if you're going to take a 24-hour time with God, if you're going to just take a day. I've used this many, many times now. And so it's not just a one-time thing. It's great. And so I wanted to hand you this today because I, I don't want to just say, yeah, solitude sounds awesome, but how do we do it? I want to give you this resource so that you, if you want to spend time alone with God and get that clear vision, that clear picture of what God has for you what that purpose is for the entirety of your life. I wanted to give this to you so that you know what to do in that time. So you can have a great time doing that.
Solitude has been a great reset for me. And I wanna ask you, have you tried turning it off and on again? I wanna encourage you to do that, to keep doing that. Jesus practiced solitude and he is our program to follow. We want to live programmed like Jesus. As we close, we're gonna do one more song of worship and I'm gonna ask that, would everybody stand with me? And as we enter into this time of worship, I'm gonna ask that you would close your eyes and I want you to contemplate two questions. The first is this, what is the biggest thing preventing your time alone with God? What is the biggest thing preventing your time alone with God? Yeah. And this, this isn't just for you, this is for me, this is for all of us. Life gets busy, we get busy doing. And then the second one is this. What is one step that you can take to meet with God alone, to have solitude with him this week? Remember, God wants to meet with you. He desires to meet you in solitude. So what is one step that you can take to meet with God alone, to have solitude with him this week?